Hi, Jason Norris here, lead application developer here at Farm Credit Services of America. And this is a conversation I had with Jeremy Novak, who is one of the enterprise application developers here at FCSA. Jeremy does a great job. I've known him ever since I started working here at Farm Credit. I wanted to sit down with him, get his thoughts about pairing, and have a conversation. I think it turned out really well, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So here's Jeremy Novak and Jason Norris talking about pairing perspectives. Hey, we're here with Jeremy Novak, enterprise application developer and one of the most senior people in the app dev floor here at Farm Credit Services of America. Is that right, Jeremy? How many people are, you know, more senior than you off the top of your head? Handful? Uh, It depends if you're talking about my first date start or my second date start. That's so, true. Yeah. Either way, you're up there. So yeah, uh, we brought Jeremy in to talk about pair programming like like we've done a couple times with other uh, star teammates here. And I wanted to talk to you, Jeremy, because uh, when I first started, we were on the same team. Right. You were on 007, and which is the team that I joined when I, when I started here. And we did some pairing together, which I thought we did some cool experiments on. Right. Right. Um, we so, fought over the keyboard. We thought <laughs> we played with, uh, you know, kind of the form factor. So that was fun. Okay, let's, let's, let's start off with, with a general question, right? How would you define pair programming? Uh, pair programming is two people uh, working towards hopefully the same goal as, as far as the code goes. Collaborating, uh, you know, the two heads, <clears throat> excuse me, two heads are better than one type of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Do they always have to be sharing a screen and or keyboard and or mouse for, for it to be pair programming? I think probably in the strict sense, uh, they would want to have a keyboard each because passing back a keyboard and, you know, actually fighting over the keyboard uh, is not mm -hmm. something I think you want. But if they both have two keyboards yeah, two mice, then Finger. one screen or dual screen, I don't think it matters. Mm -hmm. Well, right, and then... So what you do normally, right, is you have a, what they say driver and navigator a lot. I've heard those terms. Do you right. use those terms or have you heard those? Uh, not specifically. I, I think it's more like a pendulum type where you have one person that's making a forward action, if you will, and the other person it might, might be responding to that and then switch those roles back and forth so that both people get a chance to drive, I guess. Mm -hmm. is it, I guess there's a difference between a mentor and mentee type pairing and, uh, you know, two uh, fairly equal developers pairing, so. Equal level of uh, incompetence? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, and that's definitely true. I think mentoring is, well, I go back and forth. If I want to think about mentoring as a separate thing that you're not going to do, but you're always kind of mentoring, right? So, right. It's, it's a continuum. It's yeah. a spectrum. Very rarely are two people going to be exactly on the same wavelength, so. There's, there's always some level of mentoring going on based on individual experiences. Right, right. So that's definitely part of it as uh, sharing knowledge that one person has and the other person doesn't. And also sharing the knowledge that you're creating while you're programming, right? Right. So that if you're on a story for maybe a week, you're not stovepiped into one person. And then if you are, you know, out or, you know, get hit by a bus, the, the creaks up a, a paddle. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah. It increases knowledge sharing. So you've been here for a while. Did you pair program before farm credit? 
Not formally, no. And based on talking with other people who have been here a while, um, I'm guessing you were here a while before pairing was really uh, promoted or no? Uh, I know they've had uh, different sessions over time of agile type training and TDD type training. Uh, I think one of the the vendors that they came in was uh, Mountain Goat. Mm -hmm. I know there was a deck of uh, pointing cards that were around when I first started. So, mm -hmm. so I think the They've, they've tried to make, you know, progress in in more of those agile type ideas over time and uh, the culture doesn't support it, then it, it it's hard to maintain that velocity of, and different teams, uh, as you know, are, are, are much, much better at, at keeping that velocity in those philosophies than, than other teams. True. So what about on, on your team now and in your role? I think your team is a little bit unique, um, but yeah, do you guys pair all the time, some of the time? We don't pair enough. Yeah? I, I'll say that. Really? Yeah. Um, kind of the, the phase that our our app is in right now, we're kind of at the end of the life cycle, mm -hmm. and we're not pairing as much because we're kind of in a, you know, a bug fix type situation. Mm-hmm. But not pairing in that situation is a bad excuse for not pairing because that's probably when pairing matters the most is really when you're, when you're actually trying to increase the quality of the software. Okay. Right. So we're, I think we do a good job at the beginning of our projects in, in pairing and then uh, unfortunately it degrades over time and, and, and it shouldn't. Interesting. So would you say that's the biggest benefit to pairing would be increased code quality and, and product quality? Yeah, I guess each person's going to have their own angle on on what matters to them. But yeah, I, I mean, definitely that's a that's an important aspect of it for me is is having uh, a product that's better quality. And it's not it's not necessarily better quality as in lower lower bugs or lower runtime errors. Quality might be the user experience that you know that comes out from the other from the other side. That's not necessarily apparent as far as just looking at the code goes. So you think pairing can inform your not only code structure, but also uh, how you build features, right? Yeah, that, it should. Really? Not, yeah, not just. So my team, uh, some of the things we do is, is creating software for other developers to use. So, right. so we, we would want to create uh, components and, and whatnot that are as easy to use as possible, right? So we uh, we should want a, that to be one of our our quality standards. In that you know it's 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 intuitively obvious what what people are integrating with. Sure, you want a good user experience, right? I guess that kind of threw me a little bit because in most of the projects I worked on or, or do work on, the functionality is pretty well defined how things are going to work before it gets to a pair to work on, right? But but it definitely morphs, you know, because you're going to huddle with your business owner. You're going to fish, you know, flesh out details that weren't known previously. And you're right, that will change how you end up implementing it. So, yeah, two brands are better than one. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as far as uh, our, the direction that we're going on in our implementations, 
uh, a lot of times we tend to be the first users of our software. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's not until we bring in other teams that we understand if we did or didn't hit the mark as far as what their needs are. Right. Yeah. Um, what kind of... So do you do any kind of research outside of just having your team use it? Um, I know, like, have you worked with the UX team at all? They do a lot of, like, you know, user research about yeah. what users actually need. We have not worked with them very much at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's because of who our user base usually is. There's uh, With limited UX resources, it makes a lot more sense for UX to be... Uh, uh, working with, you know, end customers, you know, our farmers and ranchers, right? Primarily, and then internally, the, the apps that have large use across the company, retail organization or retail locations and whatnot. Right. They want to maximize their impact, and that makes sense. Yep. Um, <clears throat> cool. Okay, so I have some more questions to talk about. Let's let's go through a few of those. What's the best way when you're pairing to make sure it's a good experience and you have good output. How do you, how do you make it an effective pairing partnership? Uh, so I think for me, one of the keys of, uh, of keeping pairing going in the right direction is to also practice TDD. Uh, I, I think TDD helps as far as a pair goes, it helps keep focus on what the task is in a hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can write a test first and that test, passes or fails and if you agree what that test is based on what the direction of the, the design is mm-hmm. then it makes it easier to write the corresponding code you know that that passes or fails the test if if you're trying to pair against or on some software and you don't and you can't agree on necessarily what the design is mm-hmm. or even what the inputs and outputs are then I don't know that there's a way to get those two people on the on the same page Sure. Right. So, well, you're eventually going to figure all that out anyway, but but you're basically plugging TDD and saying that it helps to define your design before you go to implement it, and it can be simpler to define it than while you're actually trying to implement the code. Right. Um, I agree with that for sure. But, yeah, well, I guess when it comes to pairing, jumping into the code before you're ready to jump into the code would also, uh, without knowing what the design is going to be. So. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of benefit. So going back to when we paired, yeah, we did a couple things, right? And actually, I think, no, I don't think Mike Warren talked about it in here, um, but I think I had read about it online. I had someone and said, oh, we may, we switched our pairing stations. So we tried it out, right, where we'd sit at a desk, but instead of sitting next to each other, we'd sit diagonal from each other. Yeah. So we'd have a monitor in front of us, but we could still look across and see the other person and, and have a natural conversation. Right. Facial expressions. Facial expressions and not being so close. Man, yeah. give me a little bit of space over here. Right. <laughs> so I like that. Do you guys still do that or have you done that lately? Yeah, we we don't really have the uh, floor space to... <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it makes it a little bit inconvenient. And then one solution to that that some people use, especially upstairs, I don't know if it's down here so much, but we end up pairing at Mediascapes a yeah. lot. Which, for me, is pretty uncomfortable, sitting at that high table all day. And uh, Michael expressed some frustration about it as well. He's like, I don't have my ergonomic keyboard, I don't have my setup. He's like, he goes, it's a legal issue. 
because you're forcing people to, you say you want to give them ergonomic stuff and then you force them to work in a non-ergonomic environment most of the day. Right. So that, that was an interesting thing I hadn't considered. So when we were sitting across from each other, I really liked that. Did, what, what was your thought about it? You know, I, I, had, I had forgotten that we had used that approach, but I agree that was, that was a great way to, like as you say, hold a conversation. Um, you know, it, it might be, as far as ergonomics and, and, and what you mentioned, it'd be interesting to experiment working from home and pairing and then having, you know, two monitors, one with a you know, camera feed on it or video feed on it. Uh-huh. You know, there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities or different ways that we could, can experiment with pairing. Virtual pairing. Yep. I've talked yeah. about that a little bit and they've started to come out with like Visual Studio has the sharing thing now. Right. Which I think I've tried once. Have you tried it at all? Yeah. Live sharing. Does it work pretty well? Not when I had tried it. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. There were other screen sharing things that worked really well, like TeamViewer. No, not TeamViewer. Screen Hero, if oh. you ever tried that. And we we did VNC. That was... And, sure. And the VNC, VNC has real low latency, so that's one of the key... That's cool. ...requirements there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because, yeah, with more people working remote, remote pairing is more and more of an issue. Like, can you do it? How do you do it? Right. Is it going to work? So I've done it a couple times. It seems like as long as you have the setup, you can do it. You got to have a headset probably, yeah. right, to make it effective on both ends um, and stuff like that. But there's definitely companies that have figured that out, and and they're they figure figured it out, and they have the infrastructure that supports that type of working too. It, it's mm-hmm. not it's not something that farm creditor that we are necessarily bending over backwards to do. And maybe it's just because we need to ask the right people is. Will they accommodate that type of setup? Maybe it's that, and maybe it's that distributed teams are inherently not as good as co-located teams. That would be my contention, yeah. and it, it's because of the the communication overhead, right? You can reduce it, but I still think there's going to be benefit to being all in the same place. Yeah. It always comes down to communication, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, right? Like uh, the mythical man month. You read that ever? Yeah. That is a little bit, yeah. Right, and that really makes it clear how the reason you can't just add people to a project is because your communication overhead increases with like the square of the number of people, right? right. Whereas it's linear for productivity, yeah. so you're eventually going to start losing productivity by adding people. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, I, pre- I prefer the comparison that uh, nine women can have a baby in one month, right? Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that one. That's from the book too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, something else we did, like you mentioned, was we had, uh, like, a, a chess timer type app to control whose turn it was to drive. Right. Because we both really like to be in control. Yeah. <laughs> so, we needed some right. way to moderate that. Somehow, that never got turned on. <laughs> the clock never counted down. Are you doing it for a half an hour? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. that's, I mean, it can happen that one person hogs the keyboard especially if they really like to do that and the other person lets them. But I feel like that's not, even if both people are okay with it, it's not as effective of a a pairing as if you're switching every, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, something like that, right? Yeah, 10 10 minutes even seems like a long time. Does it? What do you think? Uh, So I've, aside from pairing, and this gets into the time a little bit, I've looked a little bit at mob programming. Okay, so someone mentioned that the other day and I didn't know what it meant. Can you tell me what it means? So it was, mob programming was uh, an idea that was created by 
I want to say Hunter Sprinkler Systems. Okay. Is it? I can't remember. I think it's an it's an H company, right? And the and the guy that kind of the main main voice behind it, he's he's been on the circuits talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. His name escapes me right now. So the idea is that you have as many people on your team, or as many people that are interested in the outcome pairing, right? Uh, even up to the point of a dozen people, and he's done it with that, and and he'll say that he's done it quite successfully. And really, yeah. Uh, is he? You might even have you know business owners and and non non programmers right in there. Sure. So he. In his implementation, he has some pretty strict rules and and how you rotate the keyboard around, and it's like a five minute type of thing. So, uh-huh. it, it seems like there would be a lot of thrashing in doing that, and I want to get to the point of being able to experiment with that. Mm-hmm. When your leader looks over and he sees four people sitting and working on the same thing versus having two pairs or versus having four individuals, right? Then that that seems to to cause issue. Well, it seems like you may need some education, yeah. you know, of, of, of the leader in that case. Yeah. And, and I think most leaders in this company would be on board with experimenting with most reasonable practices, right? Exactly. What's reasonable and what's unreasonable, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the question. It's always the question. Um, but the, I guess the, the time in rotating the keyboard... It, you know, if, you, if you're doing the, the TDD approach where you're writing a test and then switching over and writing the code, and if you, if you actually are keeping the, that, that next set of functionality uh, that you're creating inside of TDD, then I think you could be switching every 30 seconds to two minutes, you know, kind of thing. Where maybe I would write a test and then you would make the test pass? Right. And then, and then I would go write the next test and then you would make, make the next test pass and then... We just flip back and forth. So, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I like that. And I think one of my other interviews talked about that format too. And I'm definitely going to try it next time. I'm uh, doing some good pairing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Give it a try. Yeah. It's tough. I don't get a lot of programming time these days, unfortunately. But um, I think you figure out a way to fit it in, don't you, Jason? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Do it uh, after hours sometimes if I need to. Uh, okay, so speaking of time, have you ever used the Pomodoro technique? No, I've, I've heard you mention it many times. And... I've mentioned it, and some people have picked it up, some people have liked it. It's good for people like me, I think, who need a way to focus and then get a break from focusing, right? Yeah. My brain wears out pretty quick. I need to recharge every half an hour or so. Yeah. Um, but, the, but to your credit, I, I think when I've... I've had a situation where I've worked on something for maybe a couple hours and I just, you, you get to a point where, or I get to a point where I'm making more mistakes than I should mm-hmm. than getting up and, you know, even if it's going and getting a beverage or whatever, mm-hmm. then just that break uh, allows me to, to reset to the point where what I might have been struggling with for the previous half hour, I can, you know, sometimes come up with a reasonable uh, solution to that. Right, and it may have only taken two minutes to implement that solution. So it's like, why, why did I spend a half an hour on something when if I just took a break, it would have taken two minutes? And it's it, how do you recognize, you know, that, that you're at that point where it's like uh, your brain has all the information it needs, only its processing is queued up with you right. behind you beating your your head against the screen. And then when you you know go take a break for a minute, uh, those uh, queued up tasks can clear. Out. 
right? Well, they can abort and <laughs> the right ones can come to the front. And yeah. yeah, that's totally true. And yeah. that's why I like the Pomodoro technique because it, yeah, it kind of enforces that, you know, a little bit more. What's your ratio that you're running? Well, I haven't used it in a while because, you know, it's, it's most effective when you have maybe half a day of programming time, right? Which, when's the last time I got that? I don't even know. Um, so, but, but generally what you do is 25 minutes, five minute break, mm. do that, you know, two to four times, or maybe you want to take a 10 minute break or, you know, uh, but, but basically it's 25 and five, um, is what the general rule is. So it seems yeah. to work pretty well. You know, the hard part is when, when you're having fun at the <clears throat> end of that 25 minutes, you want to continue having fun. Right. So, but you don't want to get burned out. Right. So, Yeah. It's uh, it's always a balance. It's always a balance. Uh, speaking of a balance, uh, so are there? It seems to me that there are better times, or times when pairing is very useful, and times when it's maybe marginally useful. Um, you mentioned when you're kind of fixing bugs on your team, you choose not to pair that much. Is that? But but maybe you don't agree with that. What, when should you definitely not pair or, or is it not helpful? Do you think? Uh, the conflicts that we run into pairing wise when, when it doesn't work out is uh, you're looking at a topic that that's new to both people and they, and they each have their own research, mm -hmm. you know, methodology that they like to use uh, top down, bottom up type research or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't get the the two different philosophies to necessarily align, so it's I think it's best to go split up and go back to your desk and then come come back and so do some research, maybe even spike out a little code and bring it back. Have you done that? Yeah, maybe. I, I say trying to think of when when that has been the case, and I really haven't, but I've heard other people mention it, so yeah. I thought I would would ask. You know, pairing with somebody who's engaged is is definitely way easier than pairing with somebody who's not engaged, right? I mean, you might as well just be doing it yourself. To, True. Yeah. The only problem with us pairing is we cared too much. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, but that's not that's not bad. It's no, just it's we, not. I mean, we we just unfortunately we we were not able to work for a long enough period of time that that we got into really great sync as far as pairing goes. I mean, the the company was growing at that time, and new opportunities came came up that was the better fit for what you wanted to do and sure yeah so we, we didn't get to spend as much time together right. as, as would have been great yeah, that's true so yeah i think that's the that's the key on on pairing is is finding those personalities that that collide or i mean not collide <laughs> coincide right synergize yeah well right. you're building that rapport right and building yeah. that relationship with someone so you know how to communicate with for instance, I'm, I'm sure if, if we were pairing, it would be different than if I was pairing with Natalie, right? And if you two were pairing, it would be a, a different experience, yeah, right? But but no less or greater necessarily than right. But it's yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's a, it's a form of communication and interaction, and you have to definitely feel each other out. Yeah, I feel like that's true. And a lot of people have talked about how pairing also helps to build relationships on a team, right? right? Maybe if you have a team for a year who doesn't pair and a team who pairs all the time, the pairing team is going to be way closer uh, with personal relationships at the end of the year than that unpairing team. True. Depending on how much, especially how much time they spend 
you know, working on the project versus talking about family and other things going on. Because that happens, right? And I mean, Well, there's always, yeah. And, you know, with me, I get distracted very easily yeah. and I can lead other people into my distraction, you know, sometimes. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a, I guess that's another thing of being in an environment where people are close together that sometimes those distractions are from the outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. If you're in an open environment, it's, it's uh, close quarters like we have here right now. Right. Uh, that's true. What about personality types? Have just like have you noticed differences in pairing with someone who's quieter, louder? Do you have to modulate what you do uh, based on how I guess extroverted or or uh, assertive your, your pairing partner is? Uh, I will speak about what I find, which is that you do have to modulate that. Right. Uh, I can be a very. I feel like I can be loud. I'm large in stature, uh, and, and I sometimes speak very forcefully. So if I'm with a less forceful personality, I need to modulate that back. Just like if I'm having a discussion with someone, right? If, if, if me and another loud person are talking, it's going to get real loud. <laughs> right. But if I'm talking to someone who talks like this, I'm probably going to down modulate my, my conversation as well. Right. So we've, we've both taken the disc survey, right? And I think you're a DC. No, I'm a DI. Oh, are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a CD. So we both, we have the tendencies to be a D occasionally. Right. Dominate. Yeah, that's... Well, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's true. Uh, you have to be careful with people. And that's why I put disk survey in, in my notes about this, because it is true that you have to be aware of people's personalities. And that was something that I liked about this company in general, is that like the, you know, building connections and the disk survey thing really helped me to appreciate more different personality types and how they can contribute. You know, some people are going to be more introspective. Right. Uh, and, and I think that comes through in pairing as well. It comes mm. through in everything, right? Yeah. For sure. You said your team, you don't think pairs enough, right? You'd like it if your team paired more. I think the quality of what we produce is, is higher when we pair. And you think as far as like throughput, is it the same pairing or not pairing? Or is there a, a variation? In the end, I think the throughput is higher. Because if you're if you're going back and having to address issues in the code uh, over time and multiple times over time, mm-hmm. then then that upfront cost of pairing doesn't really come into play because you you end up eating it up in the future anyway if, if you don't have a of a good quality product. Right. And they, they say quality is free, and it is because if you if if you actually have something that does have high enough quality. Mm-hmm you're not going to have a negative cost in the future associated with that where low quality is, is definitely going to have cost. So, so that's why they say quality is free, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, yeah. There's been questions about, is it worth, does it, you know, is it worth the cost? And some people have said, well, actually I think it's has a negative cost in the end. Like, like you're arguing. Not, not a negative to the bottom line. <laughs> so it pays, pays for itself. Right. Is, is what we're saying. Um, yeah, I think that's true. The mobbing is is meant to even build further on top of that, right? So even when you're pairing, you only have the possibility of getting good ideas from two people. Well, mm-hmm. What happens when you have the possibility of getting good ideas from five people? Right. Right. So in no way can two people know everything, but there's there's a much higher chance that five people are going to get closer to knowing more mm-hmm. than than two people. Do you think the benefit of pairing increases with the complexity of whatever you're working on? Because it seems to me that 
you may need ideas from five people in a situation where you're in a very complex uh, <clears throat> you know, piece of logic or feature, right? And you need good ways to, 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 to solve the problem. But if you're concatenating strings, you don't need five people, right? You see what I'm saying? Right. I guess that's my, my point is if, and that if you do, if you have a pair that are working on something, it may be the wrong pair for that task, mm. right? It may be that, and that's, you know, when I, when I referenced earlier that you, two people need to go off and research something. Well, what if you already had somebody on your team that had months of experience in that thing that you're going off and researching? Well, now, now those two people go off and research something and they find a couple of resources on the web. They implement it based on that. Well, maybe they found the worst resources on the web. But <laughs> they just happened to be the ones that bubbled up to the top, right? So now you still, you still get two people that implement something and, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good It can still be just, yeah, you, right. you can still get low quality out of pairing. Right. It's not a magic bullet, right. in the words of uh, Michael. Do you have any closing thoughts for us today, Jeremy? Yeah, go forth and conquer. Yeah. So <laughs> actually, what, so one more thing, I, you know, when, when we were setting this up that I, that I wanted to, again, experiment with or explore is that in the last, you know, few months to a year, I've gotten a lot more interested in, uh, you know, a functional type approach, doing something in F sharp or, or, you know, it, it, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be F sharp. It's just that we're a .NET shop, so F sharp is the the natural thing to go to from C sharp, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, when you're pairing, uh, you might, if you're doing TDD, right, you get to the red green, and then you get to the refactor phase, and the refactor phase can go in a lot of directions. Especially when you're doing OO and you have all these different patterns that, you know, one person sees one pattern, another person sees a, a different pattern. And mm -hmm. if those patterns don't complement each other, then then the code might go in, a, you know, a direction that, that neither person is happy with, right? So you're saying functional programming might help with that? Well, I'm wondering, right? If you're not doing all of the patterns and, and your goals are mainly, you know, and I'm no, not a functional expert by any means, but we know in the end we have to take some input data. We have to do run some process over it, and then we need some type of output, right? I mean, it. Sure. from day one, that's what it's always been. You just told everybody how to be a programmer. Right. <laughs> so... So if you, if you don't have complications that get in the way... Mm-hmm. Can you more effectively do that? Can uh, complications, as in, well, do I need to care about the command pattern and the visitor pattern? And well, no, maybe this is a strategy pattern, right? The, so there's there's all these different ways that you might might spin object oriented code. Mm -hmm. But if there's not that many ways to spin functional code, and mm -hmm. I don't, and again, I don't know that to be true, and that's why I want to experiment with it. Sure. But if it's if it's more straightforward from getting from point A to point B with functional, then productivity and furthermore, I think pair programming might might benefit from that type of uh, program or that type of language. Yeah, I agree, and I think maybe it's not that it's maybe functional ends up being somewhat less flexible, but I think it like in the words of uh, Scott Hanselman, helps you fall into the pit of success right. easier, right? Whereas OO, you have so much freedom. You can definitely 
hang yourself. Yeah, there's right? a lot of other kinds of pits. There's a lot of rope, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, oh, but yeah, it's true. Well, and, and even maybe not functional languages, but just programming in a functional style, right? Keep all your functions idempotent and, you know, pure, right? Things like that, which we can do in C-sharp and OO, um, especially with the functional capabilities that are baked into C-sharp. You could do functional-ish, but you can't. You don't have all the algebraic data type system that you do. True. In F sharp, and that's a different. That's that's a different podcast. <laughs> that is, which I would love to get into. Yeah. Um, and okay, well, that's great. Uh, thoughts about functional. I like functional. I think we'll definitely do a, a functional podcast as well. We'll have maybe it'll be all Jeremy's. Jeremy Novak, Jeremy Williams. Have we got any other Jeremy's on the floor? That's about it. Maybe there's people with Jeremy as a middle name. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy, thanks so much. It's been great talking to you today. Yeah, thanks this for having was me. a great interview. And uh, see you next year. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Cut. Ship it.